This is episode 88 of the Planet LP podcast. I'm Ted Astrogadu. We spotlight new music releases each month with Keith Brayton and the Pop Dose New Music Report. This month is no different, but we'd also like to spotlight a release by a superstar artist whose name is not Taylor Swift in the first segment. Then we've got a slew of new music to recommend in the second segment. And the third segment is our stream it before you buy it. So let's get to it. Hi there, Keith. Welcome back to the pod. Oh my God. Can you believe we're at the end of the year already? It seemed to have gone by fast. At first it was a little slow and then it just sped up. I was like, man, we're almost to December. This is crazy. Yeah. In some ways the year went by really fast. And in other ways, I think back to the records we talked about in Mm -hmm. January and it seems like a lifetime ago. It does. It does. In this segment, we're going to talk about, I guess we're calling it the big album, right? Yeah. This the, is the big it's album. It's literally big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. It is Prince. And Prince, when he was at his pinnacle, man, he was untouchable. It felt like from the moment controversy hit the culture, followed by 1999, he just grew exponentially. By the time Purple Rain comes out, he's like, oh my God, I love Prince. Everybody does. Then you get Around the World in a Day. That should have been a career killer right there. If it wasn't for Raspberry Beret and Pop Life, it might have sunk his career a bit because it was a really weird album. Parade was had some great songs on it. And then you had mm-hmm. Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times, oh my God, how brilliant was that, right? I mean, to this day, people are just saying that's probably one of his best albums. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here. My favorite piece of recorded music in my mm-hmm. entire collection or life is the soundtrack to the sign of the times film. Right. But then I actually, if I had to pick my favorite Prince era, it would be the around the world in a day era, meaning wow. the album, the videos, the B sides, the 12 inch singles to me, that era of around the world in a day is the most exciting part of his entire career. I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree. If you love that, that's great. Yeah. I just kind of sum it up. Like, I was listening to a radio station uh, at the time this album came out. The station's called Live 105. It's still there. Yeah. And they played the first track, the, the title track. Yeah. And it started up, and the, the, the host at the time was a guy named Alex Bennett. And he says, all right, and here, here's something for you. Here's a new one from Prince. And he starts playing it. And all of a sudden, he has comics on with him. And, and one of the comics basically took the record off the record player and said, no, we're not playing this anymore. This is this is crap. He's like, what? He goes, yeah, this is no good. This is bad prints. Don't play this. This is junk. And I feel like without Raspberry Beret and Pop Life, that album might not have done well. Even though you love it, I get everybody has their, their favorites, right? But I'm just thinking like that pivot he took from Purple Rain to Around the World in the Day, I, I respect him for the calculated move, which was... I'm not going to follow up the next album with exactly Purple Rain 2. Yeah, it was genius. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a great move. I mean, at the time, I was all like, thank you, because I'm getting burnt out by the Purple Rain songs. I would love to hear something different that you can do. But then you think about after uh, Sign of the Times, you know, the Batman soundtrack comes out with some good songs, but it was kind of, yeah. you know, not great stuff. It was a bunch of leftovers he dumped into the movie. Mm-hmm. And then Graffiti Bridge. Uh, oh that, god yeah i still cannot dig that album or I, I like i like some of the songs it's just not as great i mean there's good songs on all of those records but it's not the great stuff 
Yeah. But then we get 1991, and this is the big album, folks, that we're going to be talking about. Diamonds and Pearls gets released in 1991, and the single cream goes to number one. The title track number three, Get Off, and the other song, Money, Don't Matter Tonight, which was another single, both were in the top 20. So all told, a really strong album for Prince commercially. Now let's flash forward over, what, three decades later, and this super deluxe edition comes out, and it's got a ton of music. So, Keith, what are your thoughts on this on this release? Well, the big thing to note here is this is the first super deluxe box set that Sony is doing now that Sony owns the Prince catalog. All the albums in his catalog that are not tied to movies. And so I was eager to see what they were going to do when they get their first super deluxe edition. And not only is it a big album, it is a heavy set. You know, I just have the CD version and it's got to be like six pounds because there is a full, thick, hardcover coffee table book that's part of the set. In addition, then you get all the CDs. Then you get the Blu-ray, which has three concerts on it, a full set of the Glam Slam Club, as well as then the Special Olympics main performance and the soundtrack for it. And mm-hmm. then you also get all the videos from the rec- that era. So uh, that I- one Blu-ray is just action-packed. And so oh I think Sony did a really, really good job of putting this together. The one thing about it, though, is the bonus tracks in the Diamonds and Pearls era All of the people that influenced Prince back in the day are long gone from his orbit. Prince retreated back to the streets that he grew up in, his old neighborhoods. He found musicians from the neighborhood that were big and active in the community, and he built this new supergroup called the New Power Generation. And they're mainly his influences at this time. And so they are really seasoned professional musicians But this is also the beginning of the era where instead of Prince following his muse, now he's beginning to chase trends. Mm -hmm. He's noticing New Jack Swing is happening and Whitney Houston and Boys to Men. Plus, there's the rise of rap. And so Prince is seeing all of this and realizing that he's kind of getting left in the dust. And so for the rest of his career, he's kind of chasing that. Progressive albums from here forward just get worse and worse and worse. And there's really, to me, only one other great album that comes in his career, and that is The Gold Experience, which is a few years later. So Mm -hmm. Diamonds and Pearls is the beginning of the end. This is a lot to absorb in terms of the amount of music that is in this deluxe box set, uh, especially when it comes down to the vaulted tracks. I mean, you have heard this music before. I haven't heard many of the vaulted tracks at all. I was sort of sizing it up by two things. One, how does the original album hold up 30 plus years later? And then two, what if these vaulted tracks were released as individual albums? How would they sound? How would they compare? The original album, there's some good songs on there. I absolutely love the title track. I love Diamonds and Pearls. I think it's a wonderful ballad. Um, I even like Strollin', the little George yeah. Benson-y kind of, you know, jaunty little jazzy number yeah, that he does. Puts in your step, yeah. Yeah, it does. But I think you're absolutely right that he is chasing trends on the album, on the, you know, on Diamonds and Pearls. Jughead, I Ugh. think he's trying to be the digital underground. I mean, yeah, I'm, no, that's I, a I good point. Just, yeah. I can just see Prince at home watching MTV and thinking he's watching the Humpty Dance and he's like, oh, I could write something better than that. Yeah. And- <laughs> And and then there's the even the vaulted track that worked that fat. It it just oh. to me I'm all like I'm like 
That is Prince watching MTV and saying, I'm going to come up with something very similar. Yeah, it's his baby got back, yeah. you know, and baby so got back or the Humpty Dance, you know, yeah. like, yeah, fat girl, look at me, I'm skinny, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. That's yeah. the low point of the entire set for me. Exactly. You know, like, oh God, it's wince inducing. The high point for me is the live album that they yeah. put out. Oh my God, did these songs sound so much better? There's a thinness to Prince's production aesthetic. Yeah. It doesn't sit well with me when the later albums start to come out. I'm all like, yeah, that's a Prince production. You can tell because everything has a kind of a very thin quality to it. But then when you hear the live version at the Glam Slam Club, I was like, oh my God, I wish I was in the audience. I would have loved to see this performance because there are long jams and it's not just meandering jams. These are people taking like almost jazz-like solos, but it's all funk. You got a funky trombone. And I'm all like, this is great. 1992 was when this recorded, the live recording was done. What would have it been like to be in the audience? I would have lost probably five to 10 pounds in water weight just by dancing alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it was that good. There's a home video that got released in Japan that was widely bootlegged here in the States called The Sacrifice of Victor. His version of Peach with a full band, like really meaty, dangerous horn section and Prince in full James Brown mode. It is one of the most intense recordings of Prince's entire career. For me, the live stuff and the original album are totally worth the price of admission for the Mm -hmm. super deluxe box set. I don't think there's as much gold in there's probably one solid record out of the three bonus discs that are in there. My big problem with his studio work from the diamonds and pearls era onward, he just sands all the edges off of this, the music. So it's very glossy, very polished and very safe. The live stuff really shows when there's a little bit of danger, you know, yeah. it's the band, yeah. it's the crowd, it's the sweat, it's the energy of the room. And if Princeton could have bottled that lightning for the rest of his career, because he always still to his last days was a solid, solid marquee level stadium performer. But yeah, he lost that edge in the studio for the last 20 years of his career. So it's a good reminder of what Prince was like when he was on full cylinders. Absolutely. I think that's the genius of Prince. When you hear those live performances, although we all know that Prince is no novice in the studio. He knows his way around or he knew his way around a mixing board and everything. But the fullness of the sound and the abilities of the musicians on the live performance. And I emailed this to you, Keith. I really had trouble not listening to this live record over and over, which is a good thing because it just reminded me of the energy and all the sort of positivity that came out of those live performances that contrasted with Prince, you know, his personal life or the way in which he treated people. And I'm thinking like Sinead O'Connor, for example, how he really was horrible to her, borderline psychotic. But then when you hear this on stage, you think, oh my God, that's why I love Prince. As we close out this edition of the big album, we're heading to other big albums within the new music report for November 2023. And it's on the one, y'all. You know, James Brown was the one that told me, son, you need to give me the one. That changed my whole life because once I learned where the one was at, it was on. Damn! The new releases for November are massive. That's understating thing. In fact, the list is so big, we can't get to it all. But the first one we want to spotlight is by a supergroup 
from the Great White North. Keith, take it away. Yeah, the first of two supergroups we're going to talk about today. We previewed this a couple of episodes ago when it was just announced that they were going to do the record. They're called the Trans-Canada Highwaymen, and their first debut album is called Explosive Hits Volume 1. Now, you might remember the Highwaymen. That was like Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson. The fourth guy. <laughs> Waylon Jennings. The okay. Waylon, just remember Waylon, whatever happened to Waylon Jennings. You get the Highwaymen, and then there was the High Women, which was Brandy Carlisle, Marin Morris, Amanda Shires, and Natalie Hemby. Canada's like, hey, we can do this too. And so you get Mo Berg from The Pursuit of Happiness, Chris Murphy from Sloan, Craig Northley from the or just called Odds. That's I always want to call him the Odds. Yeah. And then Stephen Page, one of the original founders and lead singers of Bare Naked Ladies, who has a stellar solo career. Definitely. And so what they decided to do was these guys all got together and they're like, hey, remember those great KTEL records from the 70s <laughs> that had all the original hits by the original artists? What if we did one honoring Canadian 70s AM radio gold originals? So what they've done is they've picked all their favorite songs from that era and made them their own. And it is really, really fun. So if you get the cassette, the vinyl, or the CD, it looks like one of those original KTEL records from the era. And then when you get into it, you can actually hear their takes on all these songs that maybe you know, or maybe you don't. Like the only one I think we talked about that we both really recognized was Rock Me Gently by Andy Kim. Yeah, and then there's another one, the DeFranco family. I do I do remember that. Heartbeat, it's a love beat. Not one of my favorites, but I had no idea the DeFranco family was Canadian. <laughs> so that's, and same with Andy Kim. I had no idea he was Canadian uh, until this track list comes out. And I'm like, I mean, there's others that are, that are obviously easy to spot, like Joni Mitchell, but I had no idea about Andy Kim. But yeah, continue. Yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland in the 70s. And so because we were borders... You know, we had a lake between us, of course, but mm-hmm. we got a lot of Canadian radio that would kind of reach our airwaves. And plus, a lot of the radio stations were more open to taking Canadian acts. If you just listen to the record and nothing else, it is really entertaining. You know, if you like good harmonies, great production, just amazing singing. And the nice thing is, which builds into the longevity potential of the supergroup, all four of the members take turns singing lead. And if you've learned from Fleetwood Mac over the years, the more lead singers you have in the band, the greater chances the band can continue. And they really are kind of taking a cue from a fellow Canadian supergroup, the New Pornographers, you know, which has Nico Case, Dan Bahar, and a bunch of others from other independent rocks acts. And so it's a really good standalone record, mm-hmm. but then you can actually then go to level two. And that is discover all the originals. They're all out there on YouTube. They're streaming. And then you can go to level three, go back to the day job, you know, Sloan and the Pursuit of Happiness and Barnaka Ladies and all that and Steven's solo work and discover all of them. So it's really the ultimate rabbit hole record. All right. Well, why don't we play Rock Me Gently, the Andy Kim song, but this is sung by Stephen Page. This is the Trans-Canada Highwaymen from Explosive Hits, Volume 1. Andy Kim. Yeah. You know, I was talking with my wife, Julie, and she said back in the day, she thought Andy Kim was Neil Diamond singing. Oh, there you go. Because this song came out when we were like little kids. So I told her that Neil Diamond wished he had written this song. I think that 
it's got a lot of such great pop sensibility. And I started looking into who Andy Kim was after I, you know, I thought, who's this guy? You know, he was popular when I was a kid, but I don't really know who he is. But he's a first generation Canadian whose parents immigrated from Lebanon. His real name is Andrew Uwakim. And according to Wikipedia, he financed the recording of this song himself, but only had enough money for two tracks. So so what he did is he put the instrumental version on the B-side of the single, but this got him a record deal with Capitol. And he was the co-writer of that Archie song, Sugar, Sugar. Oh, wow. So this guy's got some pop chops, I'm going to tell you. But what's the Bare Naked Ladies connection? What's the connection to Stephen Page? So when Stephen Page was, was with Bare Naked Ladies in 1995, they played the Kumbaya Festival in Toronto. And Andy Kim was there as well, also playing. And they went up to him and expressed how much they liked his music. And Ed Robertson was also in the Bare Naked Ladies, had kind of coaxed Andy out of retirement and produced one of his uh, sort of comeback records. So there's a there's a connection between Stephen Page, or if you want to say the Bare Naked Ladies obliquely, and Andy Kim. So it's it's not a surprise that he would go and cover the song. One, it's a great pop song, but two, there's your there's your deep dive connection. Nice. And I really like my big deep dive on this was um, Which Way You Go In, Billy, which Chris sings on this record. And I love the fact because the original was sung by Susan Jacks of the Poppy family. Chris doesn't change the gender roles. The song was originally, you know, once again, we go a Wikipedia rabbit hole here. Yeah. The yeah, song yeah. was originally written, Which Way You Go In, Buddy, meant for probably Terry Jacks to sing. Instead, Susan, his wife at the time, said, why don't we let me take it? And so she really turns it into this great emotional track. The chorus on the original is like something ABBA would have just blessed, loved, or killed for. You know, it's just <laughs> glorious. There's your game, blessed, love, or kill. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Because, oh my God, like when you look at Susan Jacks, like she is, you know, what do you call it? Austin Powers, Fembot, mm-hmm. you know, Nancy Sinatra look. So my new crush on, in terms of 70s pop stars, Susan and Terry Jacks were the lead singers of this. After they broke up both in marriage and in band, Terry Jacks, remember what his big solo hit was? I don't. We had joy, we had fun, no. we had seasons <laughs> in the sun. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So he goes on, Terry was fine. Terry is still putting out music and, you know, performing to this day. And so then it's a good thing I quit drinking last year because. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, but that's, yeah. it reminds me of Airplane. I picked, yeah, wrong week. Yeah, I picked the wrong week. Yeah. Because. If you drink every time they say the word Billy in this song, you are going to die. You know? Yes, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but the fun fact is, you know, when they when Susan was going to take this away from the Buddy song and make it her own, she chose Billy to honor her brother. You know, so I'm like, oh, there you go. And so, remember, this song went to number two in the states, but number one sold millions of records in Canada and across the world. And then later in life, Billy winds up donating one of his kidneys to Susan in 2010, which then gave her another 12 years of life. And sadly, she passed in 2022. But man, which way are you going, Billy? Billy's going to heaven, man. He did great, you know, so by his sister. And and that's the kind of thing. There is probably a rabbit hole for each of these songs. So I highly recommend getting a physical version of Explosive Hits, Volume 1 by the Trans-Canada Highwaymen. Let's sort of bookend this by playing Which Way You Going, Billy. And this is sung by Chris Murphy of Sloan.
another super group. Wow. We have two super groups here. Yeah. And this one's a post-punk super group. Okay, so if the Trans-Canada Highwaymen are bliss and sunshine, peace and love, now you get to the opposite. Now the dark clouds of goth are going to kind of creep in. And so this is the night record. So if the first one was the day record, here's your night record. Last year, we got the Night Crickets, which is a post-punk super group featuring members of Bauhaus and the Violent Femmes, one of my favorite records of the year. This year, we get Lol Tolhurst, Budgie, and Jackknife Lee. They don't have a band name, so it's the three of them on the marquee with the album Los Angeles. And oh, wow, is this a great record. You might know Lal Tolhurst was the original drummer for The Cure. He was with them right up through the disintegration era. Mm -hmm. And so he recently authored a book called Goth, A History. And he also wrote Cured, A Tale of Two Imaginary Boys about his time in the band. Budgie, you'll know from Susie and the Banshees and the Creatures. And then Jackknife Lee, man, he has produced everyone from U2 and The Killers and Snow Patrol to Taylor Swift and billions of others. Budgie and Lal Tolhurst had their own podcast called Curious Creatures, where they talked about, you know, the legacy of post-punk records. And so they decided, hey, why don't we make a record? The press releases nailed it, you know, in terms of describing what this record is. A hard-hitting compulsively exploratory 55 minute electronic mind screw. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is right. just every single track is different from the others yet. It totally plays as a, co- as a cohesive whole. So here are some of the singers you're going to get on this record. James Murphy from LCD sound system, Bobby Gillespie from primal scream, star crawlers, wild child, arrow D wild. You get Isaac Brock from modest mouse, the edge, from a little band called U2. Never heard of them. Yep. And then you even get civil rights avant-gardist Lonnie Hawley. The rhythms are just edgy. It's a trippy record. You're never going to know what you're getting from one minute to the next in these songs. And it is just really, really fun. Stream at first, but then buy the. I, I'm going to buy the CD because I just have a feeling the CD is not going to be in print forever. It's Lal Tallhurst. Budgie and Jack Knife Lee. It's called Los Angeles. My view of this, I wrote down, I don't know what this is, but I love it. I put it on not knowing what to expect, but it's pretty engaging. It's very moody. It's almost cinematic. So yes, I second that. And reminded me, it's the holiday season, everyone. Check out LCD Sound Systems holiday Christmas special on Amazon Prime. It's called All My Friends. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. So they did a really cheesy 90s sitcom as the kind of framework for a live performance recording. And so you get people like Macaulay Culkin starring as the band in this really cheesy kind of adult swim take on 90s sitcoms from the TGIF era. All right. And so it's really weird. It's completely absurdist. And it's streaming for free on for those of you who are Prime members. So check out All My Friends. The LCD Sound System Holiday Special. All right. Grab yourself a Nog. Look at that. And when that's over, pop this disc into the CD player or stream it. It's Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. This one surprised me how good this is. I was like, is this a late career album or an early career album? It's hard to know. But I just love the fact that they're good 40 years now into their career. And this just might be their best ever album. It debuted at number two in the UK, their highest ever chart performance. The album is called Bauhaus Staircase. It is just mind-blowing. So this is number four in what we call their second imperial phase. You know, in 2010, they really got back together and they did the history of modern. 
a couple years later, they did English Electric and then The Punishment of Luxury in 2017. And on Pop Dose, David Metzger interviewed Annie McCluskey for this record, and it is a must read. It's a long interview. It's absolutely fascinating. But Annie basically says, at this point in our career, we're not going to put out something that sucks. We're not going to ruin our reputation with a piece of shit. And so they really go all out. And so for me, this is one of the defining synth pop masterpieces of my lifetime because what sets this album apart from a lot of you know synth pop in general but even a lot of stuff in omd's canon is just how well produced the synths are and you can create like a guns and roses level stadium experience in terms of a wall of sound just from synths and this is definitely not if you leave 2023 right. bright and sunny and wondering about relationships this is really kind of the soundtrack to the end of the world and in one of the tracks, they even talk about, they trace the history of you know, human evolution from when we were just a couple hundred thousand people 10,000 years ago to now we're at 9 billion and we're going to smoke out this planet. And before we know it, there's going to be no mankind left. And so if it's the end of their career, if this is the last record, it's also the soundtrack to the end of the world. But oh my God, this is the way to go out. This is the mic drop and it's a fantastic record. I absolutely agree with you. In a way, this reminds me of a Tears for Fears last record, The Tipping Point. It's familiar in some ways, but the band also stretches out in a very uh, satisfying way. Oh, yeah. Let's keep in the 80s now because we've got new Duran Duran. Dance Macabre. Yeah. You know, right in time for Halloween. And here's one of those things where on paper, this album should have sucked. They're like, okay, we're going to do some covers and we're going to revisit some of our obscure songs and we're going to make it a spooky Halloween theme. And you're thinking, oh, that could go horribly wrong. (laughs) But it went horribly right. This is a very important record in the Duran Duran kind of Duraniverse because it's the first time ever that really the entire band is back together. Mm -hmm. You get Andy Taylor back in the fold for the first time since Astronaut and you get Warren and I cannot say his name for the life of me. Curuculo? Curuculo? Let's just call him Warren for missing persons. Yeah. You know? So it's one of those things. I feel bad for Warren because he was in Duran Duran for 17 years. And yet when the original Fab Five got back together for the astronaut record, then he kind of was dismissed from the band. So uh-huh. it's great to see Warren back in. Andy back in and it really works. I went through, I've been spending the last probably five years tracking down Japanese imports of all the night versions and B sides and deeper cuts from, from the Duran Duran catalog. And here they take a couple of those deep cuts and they give them a nice modern makeover and it's complete commitment to the theme, you know, very spooky and mysterious packaging. And like OMD, Duran Duran is in their second Imperial phase that also began in 2010 with All You Need Is Now. So both bands are four albums in to a complete era that is as good as their original era when they had those massive hits. And so it's great to see Duran Duran as a touring act and also as a studio act be on top of their game 40 years later. Many bands and artists have holiday-themed albums that they hope get picked up during November, December, Duran Duran said, you know what? Let's try Halloween. Let's go for that. And they have with Dance Macabre. The pumpkin spice of Sonic Entertainment. So let's move on to Christian Gelvander. Is that how you say it? You don't pronounce the K, right? Yeah. This is a must hear album. So it's K-J-E-L-L and then Vander, V-A-N-D-E-R. But it's, you know, I think it's pronounced Gelvander. 
Gelvander. And so he's from Sweden. And we're going to talk here in this little bit about how great Swedish music is. But Hold Your Love Still is the new record. And it's one of those things where there's some records that we seek out organically and find. And other ones, thanks to our, you know, I'm on Poptos and you were, you're a Poptos writer too. Mm-hmm. You know, publicists will send us stuff. And I looked at the record. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be my jam. And I put the CD in thinking, okay, I'm just going to listen to it and then tell the publicist, okay, thanks, but no thanks. When I popped it in and the voice first came out of the stereo, I was completely thrown off my chair, kind of hmm. like the same way when I first heard Kate Bush. The, her voice was so different than anything I had heard at the time that I couldn't process it at first. So you reject it. And then you grow into it and then you love it. And that's kind of the way I could describe his voice. You know, it's somewhere between Nick Cave, Johnny Cash, U2's Messiah period. Remember Rattle and Hum when, you know, Bono thought he was going to save the world, you know, and then even, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but the theatrical warble of Ethel Merman. (laughs) And so the thing is, but there's something about her voice that then kind of you know, mix all these things in. This whole album reminds me of something because Cash, Cave, and U2 were all on Wim Wenders until the end of the world soundtrack Mm -hmm. in the 90s, which is one of the greatest records of that era. Yeah, if you can, I'm sure you can stream that, but definitely track it down on CD. I bought it when it originally came out and, and still play it to this day. It's very good. And Christian's previous albums, which I've heard, you know, are a little bit more harsh, you know, brash guitar parts, Mm -hmm. shattering a dreamscape vibe. But this one kind of goes all in on the Fever Dream Spaghetti Western vibe. And it really fits to me right now where I'm at right now because two of the best albums of the year were the ones we talked about last week or last month from the choral. Here's a good one that we kind of, why don't we put this on and give people a vibe for it. It's called Notes from the Drive Between Simat and Alcoy. And the way they describe this is it's a travelogue from southeastern Spain inspired by breathtaking valleys, a Cistercian monastery, and the comforting distortion of a well-used sound system. So let's check out notes from the drive between Samat and Alcoy. Weaving between the mountains in a permanent spring, accidentally rich. Descending and descending. On the holiest of towns Always hoping for a stage With a working class sound With a working class sound That's Christian Gelvander. Notes from the drive between Samat and Alcoy. Yeah. And that's it, it, it definitely has a vibe. This guy really takes you on a journey he's not for everybody and neither is kate bush or some of the yeah. other people that you mentioned but he will take you on a journey it's quite immersive it, it does take a while to get used to his voice but once you do you just you just accept it like you said at first you run away from it and then you embrace it they give grammys out for press releases i think this one needs to win the grammy for press release because reading it as the songs unfolded for me was like having a great writer like burroughs or lester bang sitting by the stereo kind of guiding you through their album because they're really excited about it. So I'm going to read two clips from this press release. Naked, but for a soft blanket of Reberg, Christian's tender voice invites us into his latest creation. The sweetest troubadours in a reflective mood exploring the difficulties of an honest life amid the entanglement of capitalism. 
imploring us to nurture that faltering hope for a better tomorrow. And it ends with, the one song is a grounded celebration of the power of nature. This is a reminder that the long grass has more beauty than a manicured lawn. That's awesome. Those words need to be in the book for the CD. But, you know, it's a really good companion piece because, you know, as we're talking about with Prince, you know, there is a fully immersive experience when you get stuff to read and photos to pour over as you're kind of letting a big cinematic record like this kind of envelop you. Speaking of cinematic, let's turn now to Nat J. You were just like absolutely over the moon for her single. And now she has an EP out called Turns Out It's Not the End. No, just the beginning for Nat J, even though she's been going for more than a decade now. So the way I kind of describe Nat J is from Canada, kind of another nod to our Canadians, you know, in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Right now, look about what a supernova in terms of media coverage Taylor Swift is. Yeah. You know, she's consuming galaxies of media attention at all times where it's like, wait a minute, but there are other amazing singers out there. We've talked about Carly Rae Jepsen, Tuvalu, Sabrina Carpenter, and Fletcher on this podcast. You know, Nat J, my fandom for her goes back to the mid-2010s. She put out some really magnificent pop songs. And so the one thing, and we talk about how cinematic she is, she's really good about placing her songs in TV and movies. As an independent artist, that's another revenue stream. So I really love something more on this record because to me, as we record this, the new Hunger Games movie is just opened. Olivia just Rodrigo. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Oh, how is it? Is it good? Uh, it is a dark film, as they all are. And it's hard to root for the protagonist, but I did enjoy it. I thought it was one of the, I think, probably the best in the series Ooh, in terms of production and acting and the story and all of that. Okay, so Olivia Rodrigo has a song on the official soundtrack, but I want you to put on right now a little bit of Something More from Nat Jay's Turns Out It's Not the End, because I think this would have been a perfect song for that movie. Let's take a listen. I like about it is that it kind of starts very slow and then it really kind of builds very much in the way in which uh, a song by Taylor does or Olivia Rodrigo does. I feel like that's not representative of what's on this EP. Now it's an EP, so it's not, it's only a, a limited number of songs or a small number of songs, but even within that, she really stretches out. She has a real wide variety of styles that she explores within this EP. Even the song, the title track, turns out it's not the end, has a rhythm that reminded me of Till Tuesday's Voices Carry, the rhythm oh, yeah. of the guitar. And I think it works well because it diversifies her sound. I think overall this EP great mix of styles, but she maintains her identity throughout. She never gets lost in there. So that's yeah, great. Her earlier stuff, you could really kind of tell the comparison vocally to Alanis Morissette. I really love, I don't have any Alanis Morissette CDs, but I got plenty. I have all of Nat Jay's albums. You know, she really knows her way around a good pop hook, 
but also she just knows how to pull those and pluck those heartstrings like a harp. So you get all the feels, both sad, pain, breakup songs, but hopeful in love songs and empowerment songs. And so there's just something for everyone. And I highly recommend people go to Bandcamp and then you can kind of tour around all of Nat J's stuff. She's also on all your major streamers. So turns out it's not the end. Just the beginning for Nat J. This next group is called Splang. 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 With with the exclamation point at the end. And I love the title of the album. Thank you, valued customer. Splang. Splang. So these are from our friends at Big Stir Records. And I know we talk about Big Stir a lot, but this label, you know, to me, and we've talked about this in the past, the label is the curator, you know, where I buy the label because in the 80s, I had Sire Records, you know, mm-hmm. which gave us everyone from the Smiths to Madonna to Echo and the Bunnymen and the Ocean Blue. In the 90s, we had Hellcat Records for Rancid that gave us Rancid, the Dropkick Murphys, and lots of other pop punk bands. In the 2000s, we had Third Man Records, Jack White kind of introducing us to a lot of the bands that he kind of personally curated and brought back. And so now Big Stir really celebrates what we call the international pop overthrow scene. It's a global scene of power pop bands, big, big hooks, straight out of the 70s kind of rock and roll. So if you like Cheap Trick, XTC, They Might Be Giants, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. these are the bands you're going to want to check out on Big Stir. And so Splang, the CD cover grabbed me instantly because I grew up in California for a while. And so it looks like Ralph's grocery bag. You know, Ralph's (laughs) was Kroger's brand in California. Yeah. And so it turns out the title track is an homage to Love Lost when he fell in love with the girl at the checkout aisle. The nice thing is every single song has its own unique identity. We're not looking at just 12 of the same kind of power pop songs. So the vocal stylings are different. The arrangements are different. And you can just listen to there's two songs that are out now. The full album's out December 1st. Understood and Little Mushroom Men from Mars sound like completely different bands, but put together all within the world of Thank You Valued Customer. It's a really, really fun record. And these guys have been around since 1994. So a recent anthology called Los Grandes Excritos, you know, got critical raves and that kind of summed up their kind of first 20 years. And so now this is the beginning of a new era. So I really recommend on December 1st, checking out Splang, Thank You Valued Customer. And to close out this segment of the new music report, we're going to play Understood. This is Splang. Thank you, valued customers of the album. segment it's called stream it before you buy it 
I have a few that I would like to tell you to stream, and Keith has a few. So, Keith, you go first. Okay, let's start off with The Struts. They have a new album out called Pretty Vicious, and I'm still shocked that this isn't one of the biggest bands in the country. They open for Foo Fighters. They kind of are a modern version of the Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. But if you like the darkness, Aerosmith, Queen, and Sam Ryder, check out their fourth album. It's called Pretty Vicious by The Struts. I say stream it first. Okay. I say stream Telephone Line by Juliana Hatfield. You may remember that song that ELO had done back in the mid-70s. I never found that song that deep, but I was listening to it when I was a little kid, and all I heard was, Hello? How are you? Yeah. Oh, no, telephone line. That sort of thing. And the doo-wop, doobie-doo-wop part. That's it. But do yourself a favor and listen to Juliana Hatfield's cover. Just stream it. Listen to it with earbuds on, and you'll get why it's an aching and painful song. She drives home the lyrics in a way that Jeff Lynne couldn't, because let's face it, the song was buried in layers of production gloss, which sounded great back in the day, but this is sort of an unvarnished version. So yes. Yeah. As part of her, she has a whole record now mm-hmm. called yeah. Julianne Fields sings ELO. So yeah, yes. check out the, the whole thing. All right. Okay. We waited 13 years for Andre 3000 from Outkast to drop a new record. And he did. And here the greatest rapper of his generation has put out an instrumental record of all woodwinds. I guess this is because Lizzo brought the flute back to the mainstream. So definitely check out. You might not even be aware it's out there, but Andre 3000, his whole woodwinds record. So these just might be creative indulgences, but you check it out by streaming it. Okay. Uh, Next up, I want you to check out the ferocious One Square Mile, and I want to thank Mike at Earshot Media for putting this on my radar. This is a punk band from Hermosa Beach, California. The EP is called Source of the Suffering, and it is a rollicking 14 minutes. The songs are pretty compact, as they always are in punk songs, usually. But the lead track, Revisions of Truth, is probably the most melodic of the EP. Vanessa Phillips Kaner, she is the lead singer. She's got a great voice for this genre. The band plays well, and the production on the EP is pretty heavy. So if you want to rock out in the car, this is a great EP to do it to. Remember the Black Pumas during COVID were one of the big, hot, Grammy darling acts of the, the era to emerge. They have a brand new record as well that's doing really well for them. For me, it doesn't break any new sonic ground, but if you really like that psychedelic soul sound, check out the Black Pumas. I do. I do like Black Pumas a lot. All right. If we're going to stay with throwback sounds, if you love Aerosmith, the Black Crows, even a dash of Led Zeppelin, you're going to find that familiar 70s, 80s, four on the floor rock with Dirty Honey's second full LP called Can't Find the Breaks. The first three tracks are absolutely solid rockers. There's a power ballad called Coming Home. That's pretty good, too. Give it a try, and you may find yourself coming back to this record over and over and over. Now, here's... A little bit of trivia. I had no idea for the past 40 years that Prince's Purple Rain was a cover of Dolly Parton. Because when you listen to Dolly Parton take on Purple Rain, she really owns it. It's on her new album, Rockstar, 30 tracks. I say stream it first. You can buy a two CD version of this. But to me, it has all the ringings of the Star Wars holiday special where you throw in all these guest stars, you know, because, you know, Dolly said when she got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year, well, I guess I got to put out a rock record now. So she mainly has people singing their own hits with her on this record. Paul and Ringo, sure, the Beatles, why not? 
Kid Rock. Ugh, why, yeah, Dolly? Why? why did you have to put Kid Rock on this? Especially since she had a year since the big transgender controversy mm-hmm. to pluck him off this record. But you know what? I'm not going to buy an CD just because I don't want to have any Kid Rock in my collection. But there's definitely lots of fun ones to check out. And so check out Rockstar by Dolly Parton. Special emphasis on Purple Rain, right? Oh, it's a great song. Yeah, she really, really turns it into a Dolly Parton song. You're going to wonder why the hell has a song never existed before. So nicely done there, Dolly. And I'm going to pivot to Prague. And for those who missed that precise drumming of Neil Peart, check out the live version of Harridan by Porcupine Tree. The album comes out in December, but Harridan is streaming now. Stephen Wilson, not known as a big, strong singer, but on this performance, he's belting it out. Well, at least for his vocal range. The band is incredibly tight. And it makes me cringe that I missed this tour because I wasn't ready to go to a big concert because, you know, COVID. Oh, well, next time. If there is a next time. There you go. (laughs) So (laughs) next month, I know we're going to be talking about our best albums of 2023 because right now there's only two more big releases coming out that maybe they'll make our hits. Maybe they're not. Why don't you talk about the first one from Peter Gabriel? Yeah, Peter Gabriel's I.O. I've loved each song as he's released on the Moon Cycle, so every 28 days. And I went to see him in concert. Every song that he had spotlighted from that album was incredibly strong. And I have to say that he has worked on this record for years, if not a decade. So these songs have really gone through a lot of iterations. And I think that once it's going to finally come out, and and what I understand, it's a two-disc set, well worth the purchase price. Because these are strong songs. I got the three-disc version on pre-order from Amazon because there actually is a Blu-ray version too, which might have Stephen Wilson level mixing on it. And then another last one as we wrap up this episode is Gene Loves Jezebel has a new record out. And it's their first album since 2017's amazing comeback called Dance Underwater. Like, do you remember Gene Loves Jezebel from back in the day? I do, yeah. Because remember, back in the day, it was Jay and Michael Ashton were the lead singers, the brothers, you know, beautiful with their gorgeous hair and chiseled looks and all that kind of stuff. Well, kind of like Oasis, it didn't work out due to their legal arrangement. When Gene Loves Jezebel puts out a record here in America, anything led by Jay Ashton, which did Dance Underwater, is Gene Loves Jezebel. And if his brother wants to put out a record in America, it has to be Michael Ashton's Gene Loves Jezebel. But now for our friends and listeners in the UK, it flips over in the UK. (laughs) This album is going to be Jay Ashton's Gene Loves Jezebel because Michael owns Gene Loves Jezebel in the UK. You know why that is? Because they drive on the other side of the road in England. So <laughs> there you go. I'm really excited for when this one drops in mid-December. I'm glad to have Gene Loves Jezebel back. And we'll see if Peter Gabriel or Gene Loves Jezebel makes our year in review next month on Planet LP. Keith, why don't we continue this segment, stream it before you buy it on Pop Dose. That sounds great because we have so many of these that we can go through. There's a lot of great records out there that are worth discovering. So why don't we take it on Pop Dose where you can actually stream them right there on the page. And you get to read our thoughts as well. So look at us. We're doing Synergy. We are combining Planet LP. Synergy. <laughs> Pop Dose a little bit more. They're more intertwined now, folks. Thank you so much, Keith. That is a wrap. Let's grab a Gatorade and a wet towel and 
call it an episode. Remember to follow Planet LP on our social channels. If you're an artist or an author who writes about music and would like to get in touch with me, just email me at ted at planetlp.com. If we like your music, you may end up on the Pop Dose New Music Report on a future episode. And just remember, email's the best way to get our attention. And lastly, thank you for listening. See you next time.